0: And turn to the book of Proverbs with me. If you have a Bible, I, I uh, encourage you to, to use it. If you have an app on your phone, use that. Turn to, turn to Proverbs. If you don't know where Proverbs is at, just simply look in the table of contents. You'll find Proverbs, the page number, and just simply turn there. Proverbs is in the Old Testament, which is the, uh, the, the, the group of writings prior to Christ's coming. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what Proverbs is. But first, why don't we just read the first couple verses of Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to read through verse 7. Follow along with me in your Bible as I read. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father, as we get into this Word, we recognize that, first of all, this is a very old, old document. This this text that is before us, thousands of years old. That You have in Your mercy and grace preserved for us, yet this is a document like none other. This is Your Word that You have inspired a word that has been preserved, a word that comes to us, and we receive it with authority. And so God, we ask that you uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit in the way that you, uh, uh, that you, that you meant this word to, uh, to come across, in the ways that you meant for us to understand these words. Encourage us and let us this morning see Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is wisdom, and why does it matter? Is wisdom merely reduced to the wise old owl who sits in the corner with a beard, an old man, and all the young, all the young people come to him and just sit at his feet as he gives them words of wisdom, instructions, advice? Is that what wisdom is? Or is wisdom something more broad? Something that comes to us and is useful and practical for everyday life? Something that not only the old owls receive, but something that is even available to the young, to the youth, as well as the old to those who are untrained and those who are trained, to those who have PhDs as well as those who are high school dropouts. Is wisdom available to all? And if so, then what is wisdom and how do we find wisdom? Well, let's think through this first question, what is wisdom? Last year, uh, my family and I went to Gravelly Point Park, which sits just north of Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C. And from the park, you can sit there and watch, and this is what we did, watch airplanes take off and land. These massive machines flying above us overhead, all right? And so we're, we're sitting there in awe, watching one airplane take off, another airplane comes in, another airplane comes in, and then two more take off, and then one comes in, and then one takes off. From our perspective, there was just sort of this beautiful chaos, of airplanes coming and going. That's from our perspective. Now, if you were to sit in the, in the air traffic control room, you would see an entirely different picture as to what is happening, wouldn't you? From that point of view, you wouldn't just simply see one plane taking off and another coming. From that point of view, you would be able to see the whole story of what's happening, why this certain plane took off when it did why another plane is circling in the sky, why another plane is taxiing over here, why two just took off and two landed. You would be able to see the entire strategy, the big picture of what's going on. Now, some people think of wisdom in that way. They think wisdom is like sitting in God's air traffic control room and understanding why certain things happen, why this plane took off then and why that plane landed, understanding the mind of God Understanding why God did this at that time and why God did not do this at this time and and being able to have all of these understandings and the the mind of God. J.I. Packer, he he explained uh, that wisdom, thinking of wisdom in that way would lead anybody to a life of depression because we can never know the mind of God. Like there are some things about why this plane took off and why that plane landed. Some things that will just simply forever, at least on this side of eternity, be a mystery. So wisdom then is not like sitting in God's air traffic control room. J.I. Packer, in his book Knowing God, he, he gives a, a, another analogy or illustration of what wisdom is like. He says it's more like dry, learning to drive a car. So think of it. Those of you who do drive, when, when, you, when you learned how to drive a car, you might remember that, uh, that as the road is curving in a certain way, your goal was to not know why the road is curving in that way. As a matter of fact, if you look at your GPS and you're looking at the maps and you're trying to figure out why the road is curving in a certain way, what will happen? You will wreck your car. That's not your job. You don't need to know why the engineers built the road to curve in this way. What you need to know is how to hug the turn. How to, how to cling to the side of the road so that you don't veer off into oncoming traffic. If you guys haven't got your license yet, listen, this is very important stuff, all right? When you're learning to drive, if somebody's brake lights come on, you don't need to know why their brake lights are coming on. Let me just speed up a little bit and see... What they're braking for. No. Brake lights come on. Those of you who have learned how to drive, you know that that means what? You put your brake lights on as well. First thing my mom ever taught me. You see that guy's lights go red? That means foot off the gas and on to the brake. All right? Rule number one. Learning how to Biblical wisdom is more like learning how to drive than it is trying to understand the why behind everything meaning biblical wisdom is about life. It's about real life. It's about how we live, how we how we live life and how we learn to live life. Now this what we see before us, this book of Proverbs is a royal book that was written 3000 some years ago by by kings and by prophets. It was written as a book to 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 train future leaders for Israel. In verse 1, we see the title, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now Solomon, if you know anything about Solomon, he was a guy that believed in a very big God. He believed that God cared about every aspect of life. Solomon, Solomon believed that God cared about trees, and he wrote about them. He believed that God cared about beauty and art he believed that God cared about architecture. God, uh, God, according to Solomon, cares about every aspect of life. And so Solomon then is writing as king, training up the next generation, this book of and collecting this book of Proverbs, so that we might become wise, so that we might understand why God or, or how to live in the world that God has placed us. Verse 2. Here's the goal of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To know wisdom and instruction. The goal of Proverbs. Now, let me explain it in this way. Everybody, look at your Bible in front of you, all right? Actually, go ahead and turn to the table of contents. This will be helpful. Uh, table of contents, right there. First page, page like five, all right? Um, you see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books are grouped together and they're called the law or the Pentateuch, all right? The Torah. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, History, History. We see down uh, on, on the right Hand column, at least in my Bible, all all of these names Daniel, Hosea, Joel, great name for a child, by the way, if you're Amos, Obadiah, these are all prophets. All right, so God gave us law. The purpose of law is that we might know God's holiness, and the purpose of law is that we might be crushed by it, so that we might know that we need a Savior, and the purpose of law is to show us what it means to live a holy life. God gave us law. But he also gave us prophets. The purpose of the prophets is that we might be awakened to the reality of what life is, what life is like, and that we might see who that Savior is that is coming. The prophets give us hope and encouragement. There are then, as we get into the New Testament, the Gospels. The purpose of the Gospels is to show us who the Savior was and to give us this beautiful picture of Christ and his death and his resurrection. Then we see the epistles, all, the, all of these letters written. The purpose of the epistles is to show us what life together looks like. But God didn't just simply give us law and prophets and gospels and epistles and history. God gave us also wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So if, if the law is designed to show us the holiness of God, the commands of God, The prophets are to awaken us to the realities of what God is doing in this world. Wisdom shapes us. Wisdom shows us not just the commandments, but what it looks like to live the Christ-like life. Wisdom shapes us into representations of Christ. Remember, Proverbs is a training manual written by kings for future leaders, designed to shape them into citizens that are leading in Israel. And here, as we understand it from this side of the cross, in the same way, the Proverbs are given to us to shape us as citizens of God's kingdom while living in this earth. Now, as we approach Proverbs, we're looking at the introduction this morning, and we see four different Horizons, if you would, of how to understand the prophets are four different categories into which the Proverbs fall. Let me just break them down for you briefly. We see the first one right there in verse 3. He says to receive instruction in wise dealing. So the first horizon of Proverbs, the first category of the Proverbs is is this. It is wisdom that is practical. Wisdom that is practical. Now in today's world, we, we say something like live and learn. Live your life and as you go, you will learn. In God's world, He sees it the other way around. God says, wait, first learn and then live. Not live and learn, but Learn and live. You see, every one of us is on a journey. We're all on this road. And even if you in this moment feel stagnant on your journey, you feel like things are slow right now, or you feel like things have come to a halt, what we must know is this. Life never stops. There is a destination that we are all heading toward, and that is the end of life, essentially. And then there's a better destination beyond that. We never stop in this journey. Things are always moving 60 miles an hour, even when we say, I'm taking my time, I'm getting myself together. Life is still moving. Eventually, the gray hairs will pop out of all of our heads. What will shape you in this life is wisdom. And this first horizon here is that it is a wisdom that is extremely practical for life. I mean, you can use this. I heard someone say, if your religion is not practical, then it's a bad religion. Listen, Christianity, for those of you that are exploring Christianity, it's a very useful religion. It is very practical. It is about all of life, every turn in life. Let me give you some examples. In the Proverbs, we see pr- these, these practical realities. The Proverbs deal with saving money. The Proverbs deal with lending money, co-signing a loan, all of life. One example in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 14. It says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. That is so true, isn't it? I mean, it's, you wake up in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, an, an early one, and your neighbor comes and says, good morning! And you're like, Jesus hates that. <laughs> All right? That's, don't do that. All right? No, this isn't, this isn't law. This isn't a command. This is wisdom. Do you see the difference? This is wisdom for life, and it's very practical. It's something beyond law. Listen, so much of life, so many of the the little details of life really slip through the cracks of law. You can sort of have your eyes dotted and the commas in the right place as far as the law goes, the various commands, but so much of life really just slips between these cracks. It's wisdom that is that mesh that catches all of life. God cares about the mundane, everyday, dull aspects of life. Such as how much you sleep, what time you wake up, what you do with your time, how you greet someone in the morning. God cares more about your life than you do. And He wants to shape you into a man and into a woman that looks like Jesus. Friends, the the, the Proverbs are practical wisdom. The second horizon is this wisdom that is moral. The Proverbs shape us morally. Look at verse 3. He says, There to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Those are moral virtues. In righteousness, and in justice, and in equity. The Proverbs cover issues such as disciplining your children, chasing after prostitutes, why it is better to be faithful to your spouse, deals with laziness, deals with issues of hard work. You know, our greatest moral dilemma today is not just simply the fact that we don't know law. Our greatest moral dilemma today in the church and in society as a whole is the fact that we are lacking wisdom. Businesses collapse. Often not just simply because laws were not followed. Not just simply because they, so, someone was directly sinning. But often a business will collapse because the leader lacked wisdom. Christian leaders fall. Fall out of ministry, not always because of a moral failure, not always because of sin that's so blatant, but because they lacked in wisdom. Last-minute shoddy work is often the result of our products at work. And it's not because of the ignoring the, uh, the, the black-and-white reality of law, it's because we lack in wisdom. Someone might find themselves in a sticky situation where they have co-signed a loan and now they owe the entire amount left on the house. They didn't find themselves in that sticky situation because they broke a law. They found themselves in that sticky situation because they lacked in wisdom. When someone knows that something is drastically wrong with you, but they can't quite put their finger on it, probably what they're sensing is the fact that you lack wisdom. So wisdom is practical. Wisdom is also moral. And thirdly, the third horizon is this. In the Proverbs, we see that wisdom is intellectual. Look at verse 4. The goal here, to, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who obtains uh, or who understands, obtain guidance. The notes in my ESV study Bible say that the great virtue which the book of Proverbs seeks to instill is teachability. Teachability. Now here's the reality. Proverbs is a gospel book. Proverbs is not disconnected from what we know about Christ and the whole of the Bible. Proverbs is a gospel book. And Proverbs then is not written for the smart and for the already in their own flesh wise. But friends, Proverbs is written for fools. Proverbs is written for bad people. So if you are bad, welcome to church this morning. If you are not a fool, then this is not the best place for you to be. Because the first reality that we understand within the gospel is that we are fools. Fools. That we, in and of ourselves, thinking on our own, in our own flesh, are not wise. And so Proverbs then demands humility. Proverbs demands that we set aside our arrogance and set aside our pride. And we come to the table and we come to the book with humility. Saying, God, teach me something. Because without you teaching me something, I will know Nothing. Proverbs seeks to teach bad people. Proverbs seeks to teach fools. If the law crushes us and the prophets awaken us to the realities of what God is doing, wisdom calls us to learn and to learn about life. Now I have never in my preaching career, which isn't that long, I've never tackled the book of Proverbs. I've never, or I've rarely preached many sermons from the book of Proverbs. However, the, uh, or, or one of the reasons that I have never tackled the book of Proverbs is because of this. When you get past chapter 8, so 1 through 8 is in some ways a long introduction. All right? We're going to try to get through that by September. When you get past chapter 8, what you find are hundreds of one-liners. Hundreds of little... Shots, little proverbs, like BBs, all right? Like a, like a spread from a shotgun. All of these little one liners, and they just hit you. Now, and every, unlike our proverbs today, we have proverbs today, modern day proverbs, all right? Like, um, what's one of them? Somebody help me out here. Uh, give me a modern day proverb. Somebody, come on. Um, I, my mind's blank. The the yes, the early bird gets the worm, all right? Um, a little shallow. It says something about getting up in the morning and getting a warm. All right, that's nice. You can take each one of these proverbs and pick them up and turn them and examine them and roll them over and study them for hours. Every single one of them. And you will find more and more, like a diamond, all right? Beautiful on all of these different facets. The proverbs teach us, they are thick. I mean, this book is heavy with information. And so we come to the Proverbs then, humble, asking God, teach us. Let us learn. Stimulate our intellect to cause us to learn so that we might live. Now, the last fourth horizon is this. Wisdom is insightful. Wisdom is insightful. Look at verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. We also see in verse 2, one of the goals is to understand words of insight. You see, the Proverbs are designed to cause us to become people of insight, to examine something, to understand a phrase, a sentence, a thought, and to see reality for what it is. We are not called to elevate somewhere else and to think lofty thoughts, but we're called to be in the moment and be present, to understand that when someone lashes out, they're really not just lashing out, but we become people of insight. We probe, we understand, and then we speak with insight in a world of tweets and Facebook posts. We need thoughtfulness, in a world where we form words before we form thoughts, we need insight. In a world where the average brain cannot get through one chapter of a book. Amen? We need to learn how to probe and how to discover. In a world of podcasts and. In emails, where we're never really forced to listen to one another, we need to learn how to listen and how to probe and understand what the other is thinking so that we might actually form words that are helpful and useful and insightful. As we enter the Proverbs, we are entering into a conversation of kings and prophets we're listening in. And the more we listen in to their conversation, the more we understand what it means to be wise. We grow in insight. We grow in our ability to understand and to probe. And we find ourselves becoming wise. Now, once again, the reason that I decided to tackle this book of Proverbs is because I have become convinced that we need wisdom. I have become convinced that I need wisdom. I've become convinced that the lost world needs to see a church full of wise people. Think of the lostness in this world. Lost people are not drawn to the rules of Christ. Lost people are drawn to the beauty of Christ. And the beauty of Christ is seen in a people who are marked by not just simply following commands, but wisdom. The second reason I'm convinced that we need to go here is because if we don't grow in our wisdom, our lives will end in disaster. I've seen it. I, I, I I've. Pastored a few years, but enough years to know that if we lack wisdom, every single one of us, your life will end in disaster. Think of every character trait, every, every virtue, and remove wisdom from it, and what do you have? For example, you may be fearless, yet if you lack wisdom, you will be Reckless. You may have commitment, yet if you lack wisdom, you will become committed to wicked and sinister plans. You may, you may have confidence, but if you lack wisdom, you will find yourself arrogant and you will be a bully. You may have love, but if you lack wisdom, you will smother and hurt those you love. You may have patience, but if you lack wisdom, you will be slothful and lazy. You may be thrifty, but if you lack wisdom, you will be stingy. You may have honesty, but if you lack wisdom, you will be blunt and ruthless. And you may be ambitious, but if you lack wisdom, you will trample over the weak and often even your friends." Friends, we need this series right now. We need to enter into the Proverbs so that we might grow in wisdom. Now. That was my introduction for my sermon this morning, all right? And my, the body of my sermon is very short, all right? That was a very long sermon introduction. But here's the body, all right? How do we begin to get it? How do we begin to become people who are wise? Where do we start Now, what we see in verse 7 is actually the the first proverb in the entire book. But it's not a proverb like every other proverb. What we see in verse 7 is actually the the concentrated juice of all the proverbs. If you could boil all of the proverbs down into one concentrated drop, what you find is verse 7. And as a matter of fact, the remainder of the book simply seeks to illustrate verse 7. So how do we begin? Where do we begin to find wisdom? Let's look at verse 7. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The beginning of the Lord is the fear of knowledge, which is used... Simultaneously with the word wisdom, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Three questions that I want to ask and I want to close with. The first one is this. What is the fear of the Lord? We often say the fear of the Lord is, uh, is not a fear of going to hell, a fear of being under God's judgment and condemnation. That is true if you are a believer and have trusted in Christ. However, then we'll say the fear of the Lord is, 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 means reverence, that we be reverent. And then we just kind of end right there. We just leave it with reverence. All right? Fear of the Lord is enormous throughout the pages of the Scriptures. People who are righteous are described as one who has fear of the Lord. We cannot miss what the fear of the Lord means especially if that is where we begin to find wisdom. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let me just briefly go through the Bible. For Abraham, the fear of the Lord meant that he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. In Exodus chapter 14, the fear of the Lord came as a result of God destroying the Egyptians. In Exodus 20.20, the purpose of the fear of the Lord is to keep you from sinning. In Leviticus chapter 19, fear of the Lord leads to serving and loving the deaf community. In Joshua 24, the fear of the Lord is connected with faithful service. In 1 Samuel 2, 24, the fear of the Lord means that we consider all of the things that God has done for us. In Psalm 34, the fear of the Lord, or, or the angel of the Lord, protects those who fear him. In Luke chapter 12, the writer says, Forget the fear of man, fear the Lord, who can throw you into hell. In Acts chapter 5. The fear of the Lord comes upon the church after God kills Ananias and Sapphira. The fear of the Lord. Listen, God is dangerous for you to be around. God is dangerous for you to be around. This infinitely holy, majestic, transcendent, powerful God became human. And when other humans were confronted with this one human, it was horrifying, and they killed him. Being confronted with God, being confronted with that kind of holiness leads you to one of two places. It leads you to either fall on your face in wonder and in awe and in fear of His glory and His majesty and His holiness and His beauty and His wrath and His judgment and and find refuge in Him, or you kill Him. You kill Him because God is dangerous for you to be around. He's dangerous for your ego. God will destroy your ego and He will save your soul. God will harm your flesh and He will build up your life. God will destroy your pride and He will raise you to new life. You see, God is dangerous for your self-centered opinions and for your narcissism. The fear of the Lord means this. We can never be casual with God. We can never just treat God in a, in a casual sort of manner. To illustrate this, my wife and I went on a cruise that we got for free uh, a couple months ago to the Bahamas. And... While we were out to sea on the first night, there was a storm and the waves were large and swelling and crashing. And I sat out at the edge of the, the back of the boat and I looked out to the waters, the stormy sea, as the waves crashed. And all I saw were these, were these dark, ominous waves set up against uh, the, the horizon of the dark gray sky. And to be honest, as I sat there, it was this weird sense of lump in my throat, horrifying, uh, terrible amazement mixed with beauty and awe. So, like, I I wanted to break my eyes from it so I could catch my breath, but I couldn't because it had captured me. Now, listen, if I was out there in the sea, in the waves, with no refuge, there would be nothing beautiful about it. There would be nothing awe-inspiring about it. It would just be simply horrifying. But what makes it horrifyingly beautiful is that I am in the refuge of the ship, of the boat. You see, that is the fear of God. Outside of the refuge that God provides Himself, God is horrifying. But inside of the refuge that God provides, away from His own judgment, from that vantage point of being inside the refuge, we can then look out and have this sense of lump in the throat, terrifying, horrifying, awe, beauty, amazement, wonder at His holiness, His transcendence, His wrath, His judgment, and all that God is. And we feel like sometimes we want to turn away so we can catch our breath, yet it's so beautiful. We continue to stare and and wonder and have awe. See, the, the fear of God says that God is a big God. God is a big God. How does the fear of God then lead to wisdom? Well, in this sense, the man with two PhDs out there in the middle of the sea is no match for God. First 1 Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 says the wisdom of the world is folly with God. As much as we can learn about the world and how the world, it's folly, it's folly compared to the enormous ocean of God's wonder. How do we achieve the fear of the Lord and begin to become wise? Where do we look to catch the breathtaking fear of God? Friends, listen. This book is a Gospel book. As we read there in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We know from this side of the cross who that is referring to. The fear of Christ. The wonder. The awe of Christ. The beginning of knowledge. Where do we look? To begin... To grow in wisdom, we look to the cross of Christ. Because there in the cross of Christ, we see God's love, we see God's judgment, we see God's holiness. There in the cross of Christ, we see the wisest man who ever lived hanging on a tree for you, a fool, so that you might be forgiven and bought and regenerated and made new and made wise. When we look at Christ on the cross, we are overwhelmed with the beauty and the wonder and that, that lump in the throat kind of horrific amazement. And the longer we stare at Him on the tree, the more we grow in our fear of God. And as we grow and as we stare, we begin to become wise. Look to Jesus this morning. Maybe you came in here this morning a fool in the eyes of God. Maybe wise in the eyes of men. Do not leave here a fool in the eyes of God. God has provided you a one... uh, provision. One way, He has come into this world, and He has died for you. And there we see all that God is. Let us pray, and let us ask God to help us to grow in wisdom. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to open up this book of Proverbs. We thank You for the reality that when we look to Jesus and we see Christ, we see the greatest display of your love, the greatest display of your judgment. We see uh, something that is horrifyingly beautiful that is our Redeemer, our Savior. God, fix our eyes on Christ. May we. Cling to him, lean on him, rely on him, be with him, grow with him, so that we might become wise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.